0: So as we continue our series on the truth amplified, we find an interesting story in Matthew chapter 15 that involves a woman who, for all intents and purposes right now, isn't, shouldn't be a part of the story, Uh, okay? And yet she is absolutely determined. To not only reach Jesus, but for Jesus to to minister to her, to the need that that she has. And there are roadblocks kind of over and over in this story to her, and yet she just refuses to quit. And one of the things that I've noticed as I was really studying this is how much in Scripture the idea of being a determined person unstoppable kind of force God wants us to be for him in our lives. Are there going to be obstacles? Absolutely. But God doesn't want obstacles to ever stop us. He wants us to continue to press forward. And what we're going to find here in this sermon is that Jesus is the Lord of the determined. Because there is something about the Christian faith that that instills a strength that overcomes just just about everything. I mean, we can go through history and those people that have walked with God extremely closely, they all have one thing in common and it's the fact that they just won't quit. You know why? Because the kingdom of God has no quit in it. There's a reason that that when when Jesus was talking about establishing his kingdom and he's talking to Peter about it, he says On this, I will establish my kingdom, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He's saying that every power in this world can come up against what God is doing, and they won't win. Now, the important part for that, uh, two things for us to understand in that is, one, yes, God does win in the end. That doesn't mean that the enemy won't come against us. It just says he won't win. So what does that imply? That implies a fight. That implies resistance. That implies some kind of hardship and struggle. That implies obstacles. That implies that it's not always going to be smooth sailing. In fact, it's rarely going to be smooth sailing if you are a Christian. And yet, we have the promise. What? He says, Lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. There's something about this determined, resolute spirit in the Christian that is unlike anything else that the world has. And it is perfectly displayed here in a Canaanite woman who's not even Jewish, who comes to Jesus for a miracle. And so look with me in Matthew 15, verses 22 through 21 through 28, and it says, "'And Jesus went away from there "'and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. "'And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region "'came out and was crying, "'Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David.'" My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, this story is strange, right? How often do you see Jesus just straight refuse a person up front? She's begging, and here he just ignores her at first. But what we see here is persistence, determination, and perseverance. And they are traits that every Christian must develop. They are traits that are in line with what the Holy Spirit does with a person. They are traits that that are required to serve the kingdom of God. If anybody is going to have impact for the kingdom of God in their life, persistence determination and perseverance will be a part of that story i don't care who you are they will be a part of the story that has any story that has an impact because there's something unique and special in the connection between the christian faith and the ability to continue striving in the face of adversity to keep trying to keep going now this is not entitlement And we need to understand the difference between determination and entitlement. Determination is understanding the cause to be just and seeking what is good no matter the cost. Entitlement says I'm owed this and I'm going to keep yelling about it until I get it. There's a big difference there. One is seeking a larger, bigger picture understanding of what is good and what is right and what is just The other is looking inwardly at personal desires. They are very different worlds. And so what we have here is a Canaanite woman. Now, what do we know about the Canaanites? Anybody remember their Old Testament? They were a pretty rank group of people. Okay? In fact, they were so bad. They were so pagan. They were so dark that when the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan, to take possession of it as the promised land, what did God tell them to do with the Canaanites? All of them. Wipe them all out. Now, did God do this because he's cruel and wants to commit genocide? No. He says their sin is so egregious, their spirit is so dark, that if they are left alive, it will infect the land. It will infect everything. And this is a picture of what sin is, is that we have to be killing it or it will kill us. And what happened? The Israelites, of course, do not follow God's command. And Canaanites introduced Baal worship, which plagues them for their entire existence in the Old Testament. Everything God said would happen, happened. Child sacrifice, idolatry, immorality, everything that could possibly be happened because they didn't take God seriously at his word. And so now, fast forward to this time of Jesus, and what do we have? They've gone to captivity, they've come out of captivity, they've decided, okay, we've got to make sure we never go into captivity again. So what happens? The Pharisees, this legalistic system of righteousness is introduced that says we're going to make sure nobody sins so that we never go into captivity again. And they would have these Canaanite people around that would be absolutely hated, despised by the Jewish people then. Because they would look at them and say, you are the ones that are responsible for this. And they would be hated. They would be avoided. And here we have a Canaanite woman comes to Jesus begging for help. So what would culturally be the thing that would happen? She'd be ignored. She would be rejected. It, it, you're outside of God's kingdom. You are outside of all of this. That's what would be expected from everything. And, and so here is a Gentile who represents the kind, the, the very people that infected the, the, the people of God with sin and, and caused all kinds of problems. I mean, it, they would just see this as unacceptable. And here, here she is. One who has been historically completely outside the people and work of God. And what does she do? She comes and confesses Jesus as the Messiah. Think about the irony of this. She's, the Pharisees, are there, who do you think you are? You got all the, the, the people of God, quote, people of God, confused about who Jesus is. And then a Canaanite woman comes and says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She doesn't mince words. Verse 22, it says in verse 21, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She knows exactly who he is. She has paid attention in her life. We don't know how. We don't know how she learned. We have no idea. But she has a faith that absolutely recognizes the truth in Jesus Christ. And that's what faith does. We've talked about this before. All truth when we pay attention to it, will lead us to Jesus. It didn't stop this Canaanite woman one bit, that she was a Gentile, that she was outside the circle, that she was a a foreigner, you know, all of this stuff. She sees Jesus, and she knows her problem is a spiritual one, and she cries out for help. And yet what happens? She says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples, they add salt to the wound. So Jesus just ignores her in this moment, doesn't even acknowledge she's there, which seems out of character for Jesus, right? I mean, we we just don't see this behavior a lot, yet it's something that his disciples would be like, oh yeah, totally, you ignore the Canaanite. There's no reason to talk to her. And in fact, they get so annoyed by her, what happens? It says his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. Jesus, will you get rid of this woman? Now, let me ask you a question. What is determination? Because it would be really easy for her to give up at this moment, right? She's crying out. He's not answering. The disciples around her probably kind of forming up ranks to, like, you need to go away. But they can't just do that without Jesus approving it. She has every reason to quit right now. Culturally, What what would be understood spiritually uh, on kind of a pop level, a pop culture level, she's outside the circle. She has every reason to quit. And yet she doesn't. Why? Because she knows who Jesus is. She knows the truth. And she knows that Jesus can help her. uh, This isn't hoping. She knows it. Her faith is he's the Messiah, and she even has an understanding of where this faith is going, and that's what's great about this, because where is it going? Is it going to stay right there in Israel? No. It's going to spread to the Gentiles. We're going to see that in the book of Acts. We're going to see the Gentiles come to Christ in droves. She knows it's heading to that place. She understands her messianic prophecies. She understands what the work of God is. And it's why in her desperate moment she goes straight to Jesus. But let's talk about determination. okay? Because in Luke 18, 1-8, eight, Jesus tells us a parable about being a determined person. About not giving up. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to pr- always to pray and not lose heart. Not losing heart means don't give up. We always have hope that God And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, this whole parable is set up to tell us to be determined in prayer, rely on God and trust he's going to do the right thing. And we got to seek that out. You see, in the book of James, it tells us you have not because you ask not. How many times are we maybe just shorting ourselves in life simply because we haven't asked God? We haven't said, hey, God, you know what? I would really like to have an impact for your kingdom. You see, in our modern world, we get so caught up with, and I'm sorry this offends somebody, but with being an overcomer and My blessing is coming and we get so focused on ourselves that we lose sight of this. And that's where James goes next is he says, and you ask and don't receive because you're going to spend it on your own pleasures. You see, our determination can't be to live our best life now. Our our determination needs to be to be effective for the kingdom now. To be a representative of the kingdom. To glorify God now in our lives. Because you know why? Because the more God is glorified in my life, the more satisfied I will be in my life. If I get that backwards and say, God, when I'm satisfied, I'll serve you. One, I'll never be satisfied. And two, I will never start serving But if I start serving and I give myself to God and I glorify him with everything that I have and I I seek that out and I'm like, God, no matter what, I'm going to serve you, then I will be satisfied. You know why? Because he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. God has to come first. And this parable that Jesus tells us here in Luke is he says, look, there is something about persistence and determination. He says, in this parable, the judge neither respected God nor man. He didn't have a commitment to doing what is right, and yet got worn down by a little widow who wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> she just keeps coming back to the courts and give me justice. And it finally wears him down. And he's like, you know what? Before I've lost all strength, I'm going to go ahead and give her what she wants just because. Now, what was it? It was justice. Don't lose sight of that. In this, Jesus says justice. She's not coming to the judge saying, make my life easy. She's not coming to the judge saying, make me happy. There's an actual problem of justice here. And he says, we need to have that same obsession with justice, with love, with righteousness. And if we will ask God for those things, he'll give it. God is not going to withhold Good things from his children. Now, what is the trick? Making sure we're praying for good things. Because all of us in here, okay, every one of us, I'll raise my hand, can say, oh, I've asked God for a lot that he said no. And in fact, I've repeated that prayer so many times, I've annoyed myself, okay? In fact, I've prayed it so much that I've lost my strength. And God still says no. And you know why? Because God keeps, he he just reminds you of James. And he says, no, you ask and you don't get because you want to spend it on your pleasures. This isn't about me. This is about you. And when you see that, you'll give up on this. Now, we can be a little dogmatic on that at times, can't we? We just want to tell God how life needs to be. And if he'll just agree with us, then we can move on. And guess what? God will never agree. Okay? He will outweigh us on that. But when we seek his kingdom, he wants to give, okay? He wants to give, but he also wants to make sure we mean it. And so one of the things we have to be ready for is that our determination will be tested. Your faith will be tested. Your resolve will be tested. Because a person may say, God, I want to have an impact for your kingdom, and they, as far as they understand it at that moment, that's what they mean. But what they really mean is I want recognition in your kingdom. I want status in your kingdom. And so then when serving his kingdom gets hard, they're like, God, but I wanted to serve you, and this is hard. What do I do now? And either they give up, which I've seen over and over and over in my life. The instant it gets hard, people bail. They're like, well, no, never mind. Not what I signed up for. Well, then you didn't sign up to have an impact for his kingdom. You signed up for a feeling. You signed up for something else. And so God is always going to test that. He's going to find out where our heart is. And maybe our heart is in the right place, but we've just kind of got some bad information mixed in with it. What's he going to do? He's going to purify that. And how do you purify something? You've got to turn up the heat on it. (laughs) You've got to bring out the impurities. You've got to turn up the heat. Let the impurities and, and, and the gold and the dross, let them separate. And God will do that to us because God wants to know if we really want it. Now guess what? He already knows. But he needs us to recognize it. He needs us to see that what we, if we really want to have an impact for his kingdom, if we want, really want to walk in faithfulness, we have to do it by his strength and not ours. We have to see the truth. Of the whole thing. And so God wants our hearts. And sometimes the heart must be tested to prove itself. If a person truly wants God. Then nothing in this world can stop him or her from finding God. If we truly want to serve God. Nothing will stop us from serving God. Nothing. See that's what he says. When the gates of hell will not overcome his kingdom. If a person's mind and heart are genuinely set on God. There's nothing that's going to keep him from it. And we see that on display with this Canaanite woman. She's like, nothing is stopping me. I know who Jesus is. I know what he's able to do. I know where this ministry is going. I know he has enough grace for me in this moment. And so, if we want the benefits of God, we have to have the resolve and the faithfulness to God to go with it. And too many times I think that's what we want is the benefits without the cost. Now listen, grace is free, forgiveness is free. Okay? We, we will be saved and you can be born again and, and, and have heaven for free. But you know what? Sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, that has a cost. That has a cost of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Him daily. That has a cost of being willing to change. That has the cost of of needing to sacrifice for God. The godly life comes at a cost. Salvation is free. Godliness comes with a cost. And Jesus himself said it. He says, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not worthy of my kingdom. He says, you've got to be in and all in. And guess what? God's going to arrange things to make sure we know are we all in or not. He's going to put obstacles up. Sometimes... It's not always Satan in your life attacking you. Sometimes it's God just simply testing you. Sometimes God uses Satan to test you. But not everything is there, you know, is this spiritual thing coming against you. Sometimes it's a weight He put on your shoulder so you'll get stronger. Sometimes it's a weight He put in your life so that you learn how to bear it and and depend on His strength. And in fact, it's a blessing and not a curse. You see, in Proverbs 17.3, with with all of that in mind, I want you to think of this. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. And the Lord tests hearts. What is the image that God is giving us in this proverb? Purification. Okay, it it, it is that image of a furnace, you know, thinking, just turning up that heat to the point that it melts the metal, and separates the impurities. And if God, if that is the process that he is saying, look, God tests heart. The crucibles for silver and gold. God tests hearts. What image is he giving us? He's saying he's going to turn up the heat in our lives at times. He's going to test us. He is going to attack those impurities and do whatever it takes to get them out, to remove them, From our heart. Now if what Jeremiah is true then. That above all the heart is deceitful. And desperately ill. Then God has a lot of work to do. And he's going to do it. And we have to make room. In our lives. For him to do that. And this Canaanite woman is no different. Jesus is testing her faith right now. In ignoring her. You see there's. There's so much in a sense of superstition around. How many people just wanted to see Jesus perform a miracle? They weren't seeking the kingdom of God. They weren't seeking justice. They weren't seeking, you know, a real faith. They just want to show up and see the show. And so Jesus is testing this woman, seeing, you know what, does she just want a show? Does she just want the benefit? Or does she actually know who I am? Because it's not normal for a Canaanite woman at this age and time to have an understanding of messianic ministry, there's something very unique happening here. And so, what kind of faith does she have? You see, she has a desire that can't be denied. She wants her daughter healed, so this isn't even for her. So, he's not saying, does she really love her daughter? Yeah, look, that's obvious. She has sought out a Jewish rabbi to help her Canaanite Gentile daughter who's demon possessed. She clearly loves her daughter and wants her daughter to be well. That's not what he's testing. And so sometimes we can have a sincere desire that's a good thing, but it can still be separated from our actual faith. And we got to connect the two. got to make sure the two are connected, that we, we have this sincere good desire, but it's also an active part of our faith. And Jesus is making sure that's what's really happening. Does she have faith in him? Or just in his abilities? Because there were a lot of charlatans in the times then. And they might, you know, hey, I believe you can help me. Does she believe in him? Because that's where the power is. It's not just in Jesus' or God's ability to perform a miracle. It's our faith in him that is powerful. And so, verse 23, it says, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away. for She's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which is true. Okay, Jesus did not go into Gentile areas and preach the gospel. He got on the outskirts, which he did just here. He did it with the the man who was uh, possessed of the legion of demons. He would get to the outskirts of these cities, have an impact, and then leave and go back into Israel. And then the word of him would spread and go. But Jesus came, and, and Paul talks about this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God's salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. He's not saying that, that God you know, only loved the Jewish people first. What he's saying is that there was literally an order here. Jesus came preaching the gospel first to the Jewish people, and then after his resurrection, what happened? Then the Gentiles got to hear it, and we're all one big happy family. And so we're not to that point yet. And so Jesus is saying, we're not there yet. That's what he's telling her. Now to us, what does that sound like? That sounds like a rejection, right? I was sent only to the, to the sheep of the house of Israel. To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That to me sounds like get lost, right? But she understands what's going on. She understands where they are in history. She understands this picture better Then just about anybody in scripture has understood it. And I'm not exaggerating that. He says, we're not there yet. You're early, is what he's telling her. (laughs) You're here early. And her response to him saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. She is undeterred. Now, I love this. She says for what could be, all purposes right there, get lost. And she just comes up and is like, no, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Whew. Now understand, in Jesus' day, Gentiles were referred to as dogs. That's how highly the Jewish world thought of Gentiles. They literally referred to them as dogs. And so he even throws a cultural insult in there. So all of you that have this picture of Jesus as not, a, you know, sometimes abrasive. This one, he, he's just seeing. I mean, he's, he's poking. He's poking the bear a little bit here. He, he's just seeing where this woman is. And so from the outside looking in, this looked like Jesus is being cold. And in one sense, he is because it's necessary. What is this woman really about? And sometimes God may feel, you may feel like he's ignoring you. Anybody ever felt that way? And I mean, some serious prayer, something that you're, you know, it's not, it's not something superficial. It's like, God, I really need an answer. And it's just like crickets. And then the crickets even go quiet. And you're like, God, where are you? And you know why he does that? Because we've got, we got to figure out where we are sometimes. Because how we handle the silence of God speaks as much to our faith as how we handle his answers. This woman is absolutely undeterred. And even when his disciples are like, send her away, he kind of answers their quay. I mean, he starts saying these words after they say that I was only sent to the lost house of Israel. It's not good to give to the dogs. I mean, his disciples are standing there like this, right? Go away. You know they are in that moment. And so, if this woman does not have real faith in this moment, this will stop her cold in her tracks. Because it sounds like a no, doesn't it? How many of you interpret this as a no if you're her? I would. I'd be like, rude. And, and leave. I mean, we, we would. If she doesn't understand who the Messiah really is and what his kingdom is about, she will stop right here and say, okay, he's no different than any other rabbi, and it's just all about their racial stuff, and I don't matter, and I quit. Her faith is being tested culturally, personally, and even religiously. She has no reason to continue right now. And you know what? This is what a test looks like. How many of you have room for God to test you like this in your life? This is what a test looks like. Tests are not easy. Tests push us. Tests challenge us. Tests are personal. They're invasive. They're, they are personal at a point that sometimes it can feel like God is personally attacking us. And until you've been personally you know, deeply attacked by God, you don't know what discipleship is yet because he's going to get in your business. Okay, he is going to dig in and find those places in the human heart that we don't want to admit are there and he's going to point it out and say, you need to deal with this. Now, he'll do it with us. He does it in grace. I'm not saying he does it to be angry. It's not to condemn us. It is to grow us. It is to draw us closer to him. Because so long as that spot in our heart is there, we can't be close to him. And so her faith is being tested here because tests force us to think and reveal what we really believe. What does she really believe? Well, tests purify and even strengthen us. They reveal the truth. And so James 1.12, this is how he puts it. He said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast Under trial. What is steadfastness? That is that determination. That is that I'm not being moved off of the truth. Maybe I got to change. Maybe things in my life got to change. But I know God is the answer. I know Jesus is the answer. And I will not relent. I won't back off of this. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life with which God has promised to those who love him. See, there's an order here. There's an order to faith, and what is it? Trial, then blessing. Death, then resurrection. We want to get to the resurrection part. We like that. We love the promises of God. We love the blessings of God. We're like, yes, God is able. God is grace. God is love. But we, we, we don't like the testing part. Where we have to show that our faith is real. That we're not just in it for the benefits, that we genuinely have a faith in Jesus Christ that will withstand everything. And so, what do we have to do? We have to train ourselves in this because it doesn't just happen. I think this is one of those things. This is one of those times where we really think that if we just hang around the things of God long enough, it'll just happen. If I just go to church long enough, I'll just become this person, and that's not how it works. That's like saying I go to the gym every day, but I don't work out. You can say I went to the gym, and people might be impressed. But if you don't actually lift the weight, nothing happens. And we have to train ourselves, because the most fruit is found in being able to train oneself in godliness. That's where the blessing is found. And and what I say this is Christians have to learn how to self-feed. We have to learn how to get in this word, spend time in prayer, do self-reflection that's painful, that's hard, that's honest, and bring it to God and self-feed on the word of God and let it change us. If we don't develop that, we will never develop this kind of determination that this Canaanite woman had. It only comes through training. And so we have to train ourselves in godliness, determination, perseverance. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and what he's talking about is everything in Scripture, okay? Everything, since we have all of this in Scripture, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with, what's that word? Endurance, the race that is set before us. Now, look, I'm going to be honest. I hate endurance running. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. I always have been. But there's something to it. Because how do you gain endurance except by pushing yourself to the limit over and over and over? And that limit just keeps, you know, goes out a little further each time. And we get stronger, we get more endurance. He says, run with endurance the race. That's the Christian life. The Christian life, therefore, requires endurance. We have to build this kind of strength. The call to endurance and determination and perseverance bring with them a call for us to take an active role in developing those abilities in our lives. The Spirit will, of course, help us in our weaknesses, but we are called to develop a mindset of perseverance. Over and over, Scripture tells us to keep our eyes focused on the end, not to grow weary, to set your face like flint, to overcome, to press on, to endure. We can't just take those as poetic words. We've got to understand God's telling us what we need in life. We just have to toughen up sometimes. We have to be in for the fight. This means we have to understand that faith will be a struggle, and we have to prepare ourselves for it. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. We've got to live the Christian life to win. Running to win means training with a mindset to finish the race first. What does that take in life? That means we've got to prepare ourselves. We've got to train ourselves. We've got to prepare our minds for that action so that when our moment comes, or when a moment comes, I want you to think there's just one moment in life, but there will be moments that are going to require a developed, mature faith. And if you don't have it by the time you get there, then you're going to falter. I'm not saying you're losing your salvation. I'm saying God's walking out on you, but you just won't get the blessing that God wanted you to have then, that mature faith required. But when we have that mature faith, we have an answer for life the same way this Canaanite woman did, which is absolutely amazing. This woman came to Jesus knowing who he was, what he could do, and that his power would ultimately extend to the Gentiles. And so she's undeterred with the comment about the dogs, and in fact she finds humor in it And uses it to show her belief in Jesus. What does she say in verse 27? She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You know what she's saying right there? She's saying, I know I'm early. But I'm pretty sure you got enough. I'm pretty sure you're powerful enough to do this without it drawing away. You you don't have to come into my Gentile city. You don't have to go into my Gentile house. You don't have to divert from your ministry at all to do this. Because I know who. And she is completely undeterred. And I love this because I, I just picture in my mind, I, every time I read one of these stories, I do my best to just try to picture it. I know it's, you know, it's probably not completely right because I'm you know human and biased, but I just see everybody standing there and there's this tension and she says this and Jesus just smiles at her. Yeah, yeah. That's right, sis. That's right. He says, oh, woman, great, is your faith. He probably laughs a little bit. Like, oh, that was awesome. That is faith. He's like, guys, are you paying attention? This is what faith is. This is faith. He says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. See, she took every obstacle and just sidestepped it. I mean, she didn't care. And sometimes in life, that's just what we got to do. Like, hey, obstacles are going to happen. It's the speed bumps. Okay, it doesn't matter. We're going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing forward towards Jesus. I'm not going to allow this world to beat me down and make me cynical or angry or bitter. I'm going to keep loving God. I'm going to keep loving people. And I know in the end it's going to pay off. And what we find is that Jesus is truly the Lord of the determined. We find the blessing. We find a strength that we didn't know we had We find that God is active in our lives in those moments. And it is always worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for today. And God, we just come to you. And Lord, we thank you for the example that you showed us in this scripture. Of what a determined faith looks like. God, teach us to have that same determination in our hearts for you the knowledge of who you are and a faith in you personally, not just for the benefits that you bring, but God, because you are worthy. Because you are the source of all life. You are our creator, our sustainer, our savior. And that God, our highest purpose is to glorify you in all things. Lead us to that place. Empower us to serve your kingdom. And God, give us the peace that passes understanding so that when we face these tests, we don't falter. But God, that the impurities are removed from our heart and we grow closer to you and become more like you. God, I pray for every person in here and whatever burdens they may be carrying, God, that, Lord, they would give them to you Lord, and even if that means going through the burden and not getting rid of it, God, that they would trust you with it and have the peace that only you can give. God, make us a determined people. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen. Amen.